Welcome to our podcast, Book Lamps, where we sh- a podcast where we shine light on traits in different books. Today we are going to be talking about four different books and how they connect to the overall topic, Coming of Age. The four books consist of Percy Jackson, A Hate You Give, Demon Slayer, and Snapdragon. Before this podcast begins, we would like to mention that this podcast is sponsored generously by Raid Shadow Legends, a free-to-play mobile RPG game that you can sign up for using the link in the description. You'll receive free in-game coins if you sign up within the next three days. Thank you again to Raid Shadow Legends for making this podcast possible. Hi, I'm Bodie, and I'll be talking about a book called The Hate You Give, the second book in an American series by Angie Thomas. Hey, I'm Lucy, clearly the coolest member of the team, and I'll be talking about Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, a big up-and-coming manga by Koyo Hakuro Gotoge, also clearly the coolest book being talked about. Hello, I'm Ella, and I'll be talking about Snapdragon, a graphic novel about a girl and a roadkill witch by Kat Lee. Hi, I'm Eric, and I'll be talking about the first Percy Jackson book, The Lightning Thief. Let's get into it. Our first topic today is talking about our books, which are based around vastly diverse subjects, which all have a common theme and idea. My book is Percy Jackson, a book that is about a main character learning that he is a demigod and coping with the fact he should not be alive due to a pact that three most powerful gods agreed on many years before Percy was born. In the book, Percy must find a stolen lightning bolt belonging to Zeus, a theft he was blamed for. In my book, it is about an African-American teenager who fights for her old friend Khalil after witnessing a cop murder him when he pulls out a hairbrush while pulled over. Starge struggles to show her voice about this, but towards the end of the book, she stands on top of a car and gives a speech to a bunch of protesters and even throws tear gas back at the cops. I recommend this book if you like reading about racial justice. My book, Demon Slayer Kometsu no Yaiba, is about the main character, Kamado Tanjiro's family getting slain by a demon except his sister, Nezuko, who gets turned into a demon. Tanjiro has to go on a quest to learn how to slay demons and cure Nezuko, eventually aiding and overthrowing the king of demons, Michael Jackson. I mean, Muzan Kabutsuji. Tanjiro has a coming-of-age arc because he has to grow up and mature in a remarkably short time in order to care for his younger sister and himself. He also learns that he is descended from the first ever demon slayer and can use a special breathing technique, sun breathing, because of that. Throughout the story, he has to learn new skills to slay demons and help other people, both fellow demon slayers and ordinary citizens. The book that I'm going to be talking about is a book called Snapdragon. The book starts with a girl named Snapdragon going into the forest to a house where a witch that eats pets and roadkill and casts spells with the bones, or at least that's what her classmate says. She doesn't believe in witches, but her dog is missing, so she has to be sure. Throughout the book, you see her and the people around her grow and learn more about themselves while facing the crazy magical life that they live in. Each of our books are about the main character learning who they are and the power they have been given in the world, whether that came from a god or the power to speak up when things are wrong. The main character in my book, Percy, learns through the power he was born with as a demigod and as son of Poseidon. He learns how to control his power and help people and save the world. Throughout the book, he learns more about his place in the world and how he can create a better world for all. The main character in my book, Tanjiro, has to learn how to master an ancient breathing style known as sun breathing. 
He is the only sun breather, so he has to learn how to use his powers by himself and through the memories of his ancient ancestor, the first sun breather, Sugikuni Yurichi. He was going to be helped by the former flame Hashira of Rengoku Kujiro, but Kujiro unfortunately perished before he could be of any help. Because of his sun breathing technique, Kibutsuji Muzan was trying to kill him, especially due to Yurichi almost killing Muzan about 500 years ago. The character that my book follows is a girl named Snapdragon, like I said before, and throughout the book, she has to deal with bullying, family problems, helping her friend, who is a trans girl at home in her body, and learning to be a witch. She struggles to find a balance between listening to others and doing things her own way. For most of the book, Star is scared to show her voice until the people around her remind her how important it is. Her friend Kenya shames her for not using her voice to spread awareness after she finds out Star was the witness in the car when the incident happened. As you can see, each of our books is connected through characters learning how to use their power in the world and find their place in life. When looking at our books, each demonstrates the Freytag Pyramid plot steps, but each book has a different climax and goal to the story. In the book I read, the climax was when the Demon Slayer Corps defeated Muzan. During the events right before this, they defeated the highly ranked demons at the cost of several lives, including Tanjiro's good friend Shinazugawa Genya. When Muzan is defeated, at the last moment, he turns Tanjiro into a demon. His friend and future wife, Suyuri Kanao, uses the final flower-breathing form at the cost of her eyesight and one eye. When Tanjiro is turned back into a human, his right eye and right arm are both rendered useless due to not regenerating properly while he was a demon. The cost of the final battle is severe. They lose well over a hundred low-ranking demon slayers, as well as five of the highest-ranking demon slayers, the Hashra. The people who do survive don't come off easily either. Several people lose limbs or senses. The climax of my book is when she uses her power for the first time for real to stop her mom's ex-boy from, from taking her dog. The climax of my story is when the protesters began rioting and Star gives a moving speech and is streamed to the entire nation. The climax is Percy using his power and courage to recover Zeus's lightning bolt to save the world. That is the end of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed listening. And a special thank you to our sponsors this week. See you again next week. Hello. Um, could you please introduce yourself? This is Sharon. Also for this granddaughter, Mimi. <laughs> um, okay. Today on, what is the date, Sunday, February 6th, do I have your consent to record this interview? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm just going to be asking you some questions about your life. Um, to start off, let's ask you some basic questions. How old are you? I am 78, and I'll be 79 in a week. Wow. Um, well, now I'm just going to interview some questions about your life. I forgot to say, I'll be 79 on Valentine's Day. Yes. It's a special that's day. A very good birthday day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, first one. How was, it, how was your time as a flight attendant? It was one of the happiest, most fun times of my life. I got to see pretty much of the world in the six years that I flew. Um, at a time when the world was better place to look at 
there were some things going on that were a little scary and dangerous, but for the most part, you could go almost any place in those years. So it was fabulous and I made wonderful friends that I still have to this day. That's so cool. Uh, like, where was your favorite place when you were traveling? It was, I think, oh, okay. When I was a flight attendant, I also had passes to travel. So some of the favorite places that I traveled, not necessarily on the airline, were Machu Picchu in Peru, which was a, a really fascinating place. When I was traveling, I really did love to go to Europe a lot. I loved going to Paris and London. I loved to go to the Middle East. We went to Beirut at times. Um, and all of these places, when we got there, we had time, usually a good 24, 36 hours to see things. So I did lots of museums in those days. Where else was my favorite? I did love going down to Rio um, to see that part of South America. Again, I just had the ability to see places that I wouldn't have had the opportunity or the money to do in those days. Yeah. Okay, next question for you. Um, what was it like living in Germany after the war and how was that experience? I studied in Germany in 1964 for like three months. And it was quite interesting because now that is a good 20 years following the end of World War II, which was 1942. And the German sisters that I lived with still felt discriminated against, really discriminated against by the Europeans. When I traveled with um, Barbara, who I lived with and her older sister, but I just, Barbara and I traveled with friends of hers after I finished my studying, which was about um, two months, we traveled throughout Europe and every place we went, because I have some Swedish and German in me, and I look German, we were discriminated against. People ignored us, or they told us they didn't want us to eat in restaurants. They were still really angry at the Germans for World War II, obviously, as they should have been, but they took it out still on 20-year-old um, German girls. So that was part, that was very difficult. It was also, I got to go to East Berlin. At the time when the war was over, Germany was split into different sections. And the West had obviously West Berlin and there was the East, Eastern Europe, <coughs> East Germany that was communist. So it was very interesting to see um, the dichotomy between those two um, issues. German. Germany, East Germany was very, very militaristic where the West Berliners were not. Um, but we lived in a nice family and I had a, a good time with them. Um, yeah, that was probably it. But it was mm -hmm. also during that time I went to the concentration camps, which of course were just a horrific, horrific thing to see what the Nazis had really done to so many people during World War II and how Nazi Germany and Hitler had, were such tyrants. Um, yeah, it was a very scary thing to learn about, which I 
really didn't know or understand, but now I had a firsthand experience with it, and it was quite overwhelming and scary. Yeah, I could believe it. I, what was your, like, so that really moved you in a way to see those things and actually be there and experience it. What were your opinions, like, on the war, either before or then after seeing that? Um, I, I didn't understand it emotionally as well. I will share with you that after the studying abroad, I did when I was a flight attendant, I had a 747, which has, um, as you may or may not know, 300 plus passengers. And I had a chartered plane of all German Jews that left Germany because of the Holocaust. And so many of them, all of them in my plane, none of them had been back to Germany since they left Germany. The emotional trauma that these people were experiencing and finally going home, as it's hard for me to imagine, and probably you as well, all of a sudden, you know that your life depends on you moving. So you have to leave Portland. You don't know where you're going, but you know you just have to get out. And people pay lots of money to get out. And even when they get out, they don't know where they're going. It's what the refugees, all refugees go through. But these people, these um, German Jews now were older. So they would have been in their 50s, 60s, some of them my age, and they were going home. That was their home for the first time. So it was extremely emotional. So I think when you, when, even though I had read about the Holocaust, I had not, no understanding emotionally of what it did until I was really there seeing some of the destructive. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to the next question. Thank okay. you for sharing that. Um, another thing that you've mentioned before was that you grew up with your grandmother living in that home when you were around five years old. Can you tell me about that experience and how that affected your life? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because, of course, five and six-year-olds don't have huge memories of things. But that was so emotionally, um, it must have been scary for me that my parents left me there. But I lived with my grandmother and um, three of her sisters. But there was also in the house a, a, a renter that they took in. So there were basically five older women that were taking care of me <laughs> and I was six. And so they, they just had fun with me, just like any, any, they were happy to have me there. So I listened to their radios. We played a lot of Chinese checkers. My grandmother um, belonged to a Presbyterian church where she would take me and of course everybody there loved me. The thing that I remember about all of these women was their compassion and their caring and their taking care of one another as well as their community. Every Sunday, my grandmother would make us all a really good afternoon meal. And then she would always make enough for us to go in the neighborhood and bring food to some of the other people in the neighborhood that were housebound. So we would go and basically take food to these people. Well, that left a lasting impression on me that it's really good to be kind and care for one another. So I was never sad that I remember at all. I was too busy 
being loved. <laughs> so That's it's not totally a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. And I, I really do, on some levels, because I do remember it so well emotionally, that at five or six, and again, your, your memories are not that great, but it was for me because I think I had been, you know, did not have my mom or dad with me. And yet I had this emotional, um, real positive thing going on. So it was a good time. I remember my grandmother's house. I could draw a picture of it today. Um, did you mention why your parents weren't there? I think it's because... Hello. Um, could you please introduce yourself? This is Sharon. Also for this granddaughter, Mimi. <laughs> um, okay. Today on, what is the date, Sunday, February 6th, do I have your consent to record this interview? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm just going to be asking you some questions about your life. Um, to start off, let's ask you some basic questions. How old are you? I am 78, and I'll be 79 in a week. Wow. Um, well, now I'm just going to interview some questions about your life. I forgot to say, I'll be 79 on Valentine's Day. Yes. It's a special That's day. A very good birthday day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. First one. How was it? How was your time as a flight attendant? It was one of the happiest, most fun times of my life. I got to see pretty much of the world in the six years that I flew. Um, at a time when the world was better place to look at. There were some things going on that were a little scary and dangerous, but for the most part, you could go almost any place in those years. So it was fabulous and I made wonderful friends that I still have to this day. That's so cool. Uh, like, where was your favorite place when you were traveling? It was, I think, oh, okay. When I was a flight attendant, I also had passes to travel. So some of the favorite places that I traveled, not necessarily on the airline, were Machu Picchu in Peru, which was a, a really fascinating place. When I was traveling, I really did love to go to Europe a lot. I loved going to Paris and London. I loved to go to the Middle East. We went to Beirut at times. Um, and all of these places, when we got there, we had time, usually a good 24, 36 hours to see things. So I did lots of museums in those days. Where else was my favorite? I did love going down to Rio um, to see that part of South America. Again, I just had the ability to see places that I wouldn't have had the opportunity or the money to do in those days. Yeah. Okay, next question for you. Um, what was it like living in Germany after the war and how was that experience? I studied in Germany in 1964 for like three months. And it was quite interesting because now that is a good 20 years following 
the end of World War II, which was 1942. And the German sisters that I lived with still felt discriminated against, really discriminated against by the Europeans. When I traveled with um, Barbara, who I lived with and her older sister, but I just, Barbara and I traveled with friends of hers after I finished my studying, which was about um, two months, we traveled throughout Europe. And every place we went, because I have some Swedish and German in me, and I look German, we were discriminated against. People ignored us, or they told us they didn't want us to eat in restaurants. They were still really angry at the Germans for World War II, obviously, as they should have been but they took it out still on 20 year old um, German girls. So that was part, that was very difficult. It was also, I got to go to East Berlin. At the time when the war was over, Germany was split into different sections. And the West had obviously West Berlin and there was the East, Eastern Europe, <coughs> East Germany that was communist. So it was very interesting to see um, the dichotomy between those two um, issues. German, Germany, East Germany was very, very militaristic where the West Berliners were not. Um, but we lived in a nice family and I had a, a good time with them. Um, yeah, that was probably it. But it was mm -hmm. also during that time I went to the concentration camps, which of course were just a horrific horrific thing to see what the Nazis had really done to so many people during World War II and how Nazi Germany and Hitler had were such tyrants. Um, yeah, it was a very scary thing to learn about, which I really didn't know or understand, but now I had a firsthand experience with it and it was quite overwhelming and scary. Yeah, I could believe it. I what was your like so that really moved you in a way to see those things and actually be there and experience it what were your opinions like on the war either before or then after seeing that um i i didn't understand it emotionally as well i will share with you that after the studying abroad i did when i was a flight attendant i had at 747, which has, um, as you may or may not know, 300 plus passengers. And I had a chartered plane of all German Jews that left Germany because of the Holocaust. And so many of them, all of them in my plane, none of them had been back to Germany since they left Germany. The emotional trauma that these people were experiencing and finally going home. As it's hard for me to imagine, and probably you as well, all of a sudden, you know that your life depends on you moving. So you have to leave Portland. You don't know where you're going, but you know you just have to get out. And people pay lots of money to get out. And even when they get out, they don't know where they're going. It's what the refugees, all refugees go through. But these people, these um, German Jews now were older. So they would have been in their 50s, 60s, some of them my age, and they were going home. That was their home for the first time. 
So it was extremely emotional. So I think when you, when, even though I hadn't read about the Holocaust, I had not, no understanding emotionally of what it did until I was really there seeing some of the destructive. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to the next question. Thank you okay. for sharing that. Um, another thing that you've mentioned before was that you grew up with your grandmother living in that home when you were around five years old. Can you tell me about that experience and how that affected your life? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because, of course, five and six-year-olds don't have huge memories of things. But that was so emotionally, um, it must have been scary for me that my parents left me there. But I lived with my grandmother and um, three of her sisters. But there was also in the house a, a, a renter that they took in. So there were basically five older women that were taking care of me. <laughs> and I was six. And so they they just had fun with me, just like any any, they were happy to have me there. So I listened to their radios. We played a lot of Chinese checkers. My grandmother, um, belonged to a Presbyterian church where she would take me. And of course, everybody there loved me. The thing that I remember about all of these women was their compassion and their caring and their taking care of one another as well as their community. Every Sunday, my grandmother would make us all a really good afternoon meal. And then she would always make enough for us to go in the neighborhood and bring food to some of the other people in the neighborhood that were housebound. So we would go and basically take food to these people. Well, that left a lasting impression on me that it's really good to be kind and care for one another. So I was never sad that I remember at all. I was too busy being loved. <laughs> so That's not totally a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. And I, I really do on some levels because I do remember it so well emotionally that at five or six, and again, your, your memories are not that great, but it was for me because I think I had been, you know, did not have my mom or dad with me. And yet I had this emotional, um, real positive thing going on. So it was a good time. I remember my grandmother's house. I could draw a picture of it today. Um, did you mention why your parents weren't there? I think it's because... Hello. Um, could you please introduce yourself? This is Sharon. Also for this granddaughter, Mimi. <laughs> um, okay. Today on, what is the date? Sunday, February 6th, do I have your consent to record this interview? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm just going to be asking you some questions about your life. Um, to start off, let's ask you some basic questions. How old are you? I am 78, and I'll be 79 in a week. Wow. Um, well, now I'm just going to interview some questions about your life. I forgot to say, I'll be 79 on Valentine's Day. Yes. It's a special that's day. A very good birthday day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, first one. How was, it, how was your time as a flight attendant? 
It was one of the happiest, most fun times of my life. I got to see pretty much of the world in the six years that I flew um, at a time when the world was a better place to look at. There were some things going on that were a little scary and dangerous, but for the most part, you could go almost any place in those years. So it was fabulous and I made wonderful friends that I still have to this day. That's so cool. Uh, like, where was your favorite place when you were traveling? It was, I think, oh, okay. When I was a flight attendant, I also had passes to travel. So some of the favorite places that I traveled, not necessarily on the airline, were Machu Picchu in Peru, which was a, a really fascinating place. When I was traveling, I really did love to go to Europe a lot. I loved going to Paris and London. I loved to go to the Middle East. We went to Beirut at times. Um, and all of these places, when we got there, we had time, usually a good 24, 36 hours to see things. So I did lots of museums in those days. Where else was my favorite? I did love going down to Rio um, to see that part of South America. Again, I just had the ability to see places that I wouldn't have had the opportunity or the money to do in those days. Yeah. Okay, next question for you. Um, what was it like living in Germany after the war and how was that experience? I studied in Germany in 1964 for like three months. And it was quite interesting because now that is a good 20 years following the end of World War II, which was 1942. And the German sisters that I lived with still felt discriminated against, really discriminated against by the Europeans. When I traveled with um, Barbara, who I lived with and her older sister, but I just, Barbara and I traveled with friends of hers after I finished my studying, which was about um, two months, we traveled throughout Europe. And every place we went, because I have some Swedish and German in me and I look German, we were discriminated against. People ignored us or they told us they didn't want us to eat in restaurants. They were still really angry at the Germans for World War II, obviously, as they should have been, but they took it out still on 20 year old um, German girls. So that was part, that was very difficult. It was also, I got to go to East Berlin. At the time when the war was over, Germany was split into different sections. And the West had obviously West Berlin and there was the East, Eastern Europe. East Germany that was communist. So it was very interesting to see um, the dichotomy between those two um, issues. German, Germany, East Germany was very, very militaristic where the West Berliners were not. Um, but we lived in a nice family and I had a, a good time with them. Um, yeah, that was probably it. But it was mm -hmm. also during that time, I went to the concentration camps, which of course were just a horrific, 
horrific thing to see what the Nazis had really done to so many people during World War II and how Nazi Germany and Hitler had were such tyrants. Um, yeah, it was a very scary thing to learn about, which I really didn't know or understand, but now I had a firsthand experience with it and it was quite overwhelming and scary. Yeah, I could believe it. I, what was your, like, so that really moved you in a way to see those things and actually be there and experience it. What were your opinions, like, on the war, either before or then after seeing that? Um, I, I didn't understand it emotionally as well. I will share with you that after the studying abroad, I did when I was a flight attendant, I had a 747, which has, um, as you may or may not know, 300 plus passengers. And I had a chartered plane of all German Jews that left Germany because of the Holocaust. And so many of them, all of them in my plane, none of them had been back to Germany since they left Germany. The emotional trauma that these people were experiencing and finally going home. As it's hard for me to imagine, and probably you as well, all of a sudden you know that your life depends on you moving. So you have to leave Portland. You don't know where you're going, but you know you just have to get out. And people pay lots of money to get out. And even when they get out, they don't know where they're going. It's what the refugees, all refugees go through. But these people, these um, German Jews now were older. So they would have been in their 50s, 60s, some of them my age, and they were going home. That was their home for the first time. So it was extremely emotional. So I think when you, when, even though I had read about the Holocaust, I had not, no understanding emotionally of what it did until I was really there seeing some of the destructive. Yeah. Okay, we're going to move on to the next question. Thank you okay. for sharing that. Um, another thing that you've mentioned before was that you grew up with your grandmother living in that home when you were around five years old. Can you tell me about that experience and how that affected your life? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because, of course, five- and six-year-olds don't have huge memories of things. But that was so emotionally... Um, it must have been scary for me that my parents left me there, but I lived with my grandmother and um, three of her sisters, but there was also in the house a, a, a renter that they took in. So there were basically five older women that were taking care of me, <laughs> and I was six. And so they they just had fun with me, just like, any, any, they were happy to have me there. So I listened to their radios. We played a lot of Chinese checkers. My grandmother um, belonged to a Presbyterian church where she would take me. And of course, everybody there loved me. The thing that I remember about all of these women was their compassion and their caring and their taking care of one another as well as their community. Every Sunday, my grandmother would make us all a really good afternoon meal and then she would always make enough for us to go in the neighborhood and bring food to some of the other people in the neighborhood that were 
housebound. So we would go and basically take food to these people. Well, that left a lasting impression on me that it's really good to be kind and care for one another. So I was never sad that I remember at all. I was too busy being loved. <laughs> so That's not totally a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. And I, I really do on some levels because I do remember it so well emotionally that at five or six, and again, your, your memories are not that great, but it was for me because I think I had been, you know, did not have my mom or dad with me. And yet I had this emotional, um, real positive thing going on. So it was a good time. I remember my grandmother's house. I could draw a picture of it today. Um, did you mention why your parents weren't there? I think it's because... Hello. Um, can you please introduce yourself? This is Sharon. Also for this granddaughter, Mimi. <laughs> um, okay. Today on, what is the date, Sunday, February 6th, do I have your consent to record this interview? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm just going to be asking you some questions about your life. Um, to start off, let's ask you some basic questions. How old are you? I am 78, and I'll be 79 in a week. Wow. Um, well, now I'm just going to interview some questions about your life. I forgot to say, I'll be 79 on Valentine's Day. Yes. It's a special that's day. A very good birthday day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, first one. How was, it, how was your time as a flight attendant? It was one of the happiest, most fun times of my life. I got to see pretty much of the world in the six years that I flew. Um, at a time when the world was better place to look at. There were some things going on that were a little scary and dangerous, but for the most part, you could go almost any place in those years. So it was fabulous and I made wonderful friends that I still have to this day. That's so cool. Uh, like, where was your favorite place when you were traveling? It was, I think, oh, okay. When I was a flight attendant, I also had passes to travel. So some of the favorite places that I traveled, not necessarily on the airline, were Machu Picchu in Peru, which was a, a really fascinating place. When I was traveling, I really did love to go to Europe a lot. I loved going to Paris and London. I loved to go to the Middle East. We went to Beirut at times. Um, and all of these places, when we got there, we had time, usually a good 24, 36 hours to see things. So I did lots of museums in those days. Where else was my favorite? I did love going down to Rio um, to see that part of South America. Again, I just had the ability to see places that I wouldn't have had the opportunity or the money to do in those days. Yeah. Okay, next question for you. Um, what was it like living in Germany after the war and how was that experience? 
I studied in Germany in 1964 for like three months. And it was quite interesting because now that is a good 20 years following the end of World War II, which was 1942. And the German sisters that I lived with still felt discriminated against, really discriminated against by the Europeans. When I traveled with um, Barbara, who I lived with and her older sister, but I just, Barbara and I traveled with friends of hers after I finished my studying, which was about um, two months, we traveled throughout Europe and every place we went because I have some Swedish and German in me and I look German, we were discriminated against. People ignored us or they told us they didn't want us to eat in restaurants. They were still really angry at the Germans for World War II, obviously, as they should have been, but they took it out still on 20 year old um, German girls. So that was part, that was very difficult. It was also, I got to go to East Berlin. At the time when the war was over, Germany was split into different sections. And the West had obviously West Berlin and there was the East, Eastern Europe, <coughs> East Germany that was communist. So it was very interesting to see um, the dichotomy between those two um, issues. German. Germany, East Germany was very, very militaristic where the West Berliners were not. Um, but we lived in a nice family and I had a, a good time with them. Um, yeah, that was probably it. But it was mm -hmm. also during that time I went to the concentration camps, which of course were just a horrific, horrific thing to see what the Nazis had really done to so many people during World War II and how Nazi Germany and Hitler had, were such tyrants. Um, yeah, it was a very scary thing to learn about, which I really didn't know or understand, but now I had a firsthand experience with it and it was quite overwhelming and scary. Yeah, I could believe it. I, what was your, like, so that really moved you in a way to see those things and actually be there and experience it. What were your opinions like on the war, either before or then after seeing that? Um, I, I didn't understand it emotionally as well. I will share with you that after the studying abroad, I did when I was a flight attendant, I had a 747, which has um, as you may or may not know, 300 plus passengers. And I had a chartered plane of all German Jews that left Germany because of the Holocaust. And so many of them, all of them in my plane, none of them had been back to Germany since they left Germany. The emotional trauma that these people were experiencing and finally going home as it's hard for me to imagine, and probably you as well, all of a sudden, you know that your life depends on you moving. So you have to leave Portland. You don't know where you're going, but you know you just have to get out. And people pay lots of money to get out. And even when they get out, they don't know where they're going. It's what the refugees 
all refugees go through. But these people, these um, German Jews now were older, so they would have been in their 50s, 60s, some of them my age, and they were going home. That was their home for the first time. So it was extremely emotional. So I think when you, when, even though I hadn't read about the Holocaust, I had not, no understanding emotionally of what it did until I was really there seeing some of the destructive. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to the next question. Thank you okay. for sharing that. Um, another thing that you've mentioned before was that you grew up with your grandmother living in that home when you were around five years old. Can you tell me about that experience and how that affected your life? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because, of course, five and six-year-olds don't have huge memories of things. But that was so emotionally, um, it must have been scary for me that my parents left me there. But I lived with my grandmother and um, three of her sisters. But there was also in the house a, a, a renter that they took in. So there were basically five older women that were taking care of me. <laughs> and I was six. And so they they just had fun with me, just like any any, they were happy to have me there. So I listened to their radios. We played a lot of Chinese checkers. My grandmother, um, belonged to a Presbyterian church where she would take me and of course everybody there loved me. The thing that I remember about all of these women was their compassion and their caring and their taking care of one another as well as their community. Every Sunday my grandmother would make us all a really good afternoon meal and then she would always make enough for us to go in the neighborhood and bring food to some of the other people in the neighborhood that were housebound. So we would go and basically take food to these people. Well, that left a lasting impression on me that it's really good to be kind and care for one another. So I was never sad that I remember at all. I was too busy being loved. <laughs> <laughs> so That's not totally a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. And I, I really do on some levels because I do remember it so well emotionally that at five or six and again your your memories are not that great but it was for me because I think I had been you know did not have my mom or dad with me and yet I had this emotional um real positive thing going on so it was a good time I remember my grandmother's house I could draw a picture of it today um did you mention why your parents weren't there? I think it's because 